Let's welcome in a couple of veterans from uh, days gone by when recruiting was done gentlemanly, right? Everybody had honor, a handshake, a commitment was as strong as oak, as they say. Uh, never, never was the case. Uh, let's welcome in Chuck Reedy and Coach uh, Ellis Johnson, another edition of Chalk Talk. But tonight, breaking down the world, the science, the job of recruiting. Guys, thank you for being with us. We really appreciate it. This is something I thought about the other day, and I said, man, if I can get these two guys with us, we can have some fun here on National Signing Day Eve of December, uh, talking about things. And uh, happy holidays to the two of you. Uh, Chuck, when you uh, were, were recruiting for Clemson and Baylor and, and the other schools, South Carolina for a brief time, when you went out to evaluate prospects, what what did you look for in an offensive prospect that you might recruit? Well, <laughs> obviously you're looking for the physical attributes. You're, you know, you're looking for size and speed. But, you know, the thing that, that we focused more on, you know, what kind of player, I mean, how did they play? Hmm. You know, you, you've seen a lot of guys that, that looked the part, you know, in, in, in the weight room um, and, and looked good getting off the bus, but they didn't play well. So, you know, we were more focused on guys that were productive, um, you know, and, and guys that, that, that played well as opposed to just, you know, what, what the numbers said about them. How about you, Ellis, when you went out and, and you know, most of your years on the defensive side, uh, except when you were a head coach, what did you look for when you were looking at talent? How would you define somebody that you would want to recruit? Well, it depends on position, obviously, but, you know, really when I first started, you know, when Chuck and I started recruiting, we didn't have cell phones. I don't even think they had cars when Chuck. Chuck's older than me. <laughs> and uh, I don't think they had cars back then. They rode horses. But uh, all joking aside, you know, you, you were looking for certain physical characteristics and talent, depending on the position. And my first time to learn and, and observe was with Bobby Ross at the Citadel. There's nobody more meticulous in this profession than him. Uh, but just like Chuck said, we had all these uh, physical attributes, height, weight, and we had a high and a low on each one. And it gave a coach, if he, let's say he was a receiver coach, it gave him an idea what the offensive line coach wanted because the position coaches and head coach put those those attributes down there. But like Chuck said, the one thing that would uh, trump it all is what kind of player was. So he may be a little too short, but if he's good enough, he's good enough. He may be a step slow, but if he's good enough, he's good enough. So you, you really have to kind of trust your eyes as an evaluator. Well, let me ask both of you, uh, Ellis, I'll start with you. In your situations, uh, when there, when you bring a, a prospect uh, to the recruiting room, I guess, and you're talking about prospects, and you've got a guy, and, and you like him, and you're pushing him, but who makes the final call on whether to, A, offer this guy, and then, B, eventually take his commitment if he wants to come? From your experience, how did it work? Well, First of all, you know, we're talking about recruiting, but we always felt like there were two aspects. First of all, you got evaluation, and then you recruit. But recruiting to me was always, we got to go get this guy. But you didn't recruit them, you know, unless you thought they were good enough, and that's evaluation. Uh, the final call needs to be the head coach. But I do think the most important person who evaluates the guy and makes the decision is the position coach. 
uh, area coaches in the geographical areas, they're critical because they're the one that's been seeing the kid probably two or three years, going in the coach's office, establishing a, a relationship, which is huge in recruiting. And so, you know, it's, it's certainly a kind of a team aspect. But when you start trying to decide are they good enough, now, you know, my wife could have seen Clowney, hmm. and we didn't need to bring that one back and be evaluated, <laughs> but they're not all like that. So, you know, Chuck recruited William Perry. I mean, he didn't need to take him back because four. Mm. So, you know, you you have those kind, but the vast majority of the kids you recruit, you're choosing between two or three guys, which one you think is the best, and can we get him? So it's kind of a team effort, but the head man needs to be the final call. How about if with your experience, Chuck, especially back in the day uh, dealing with Danny Ford and, you know, trying to get certain guys, uh, and, and he had a vision, I guess, for what he was looking for, uh, how did you deal with that, and, and who made the final call there with you guys at Clemson? Well, Danny relied a lot on the, you know, on on the assistant coaches, you know, to make the evaluations and make the recommendations. But obviously, he was the one that would make that call. And uh, I do remember uh, there was a time when, you know, Curly Hallman was with us, and and Bill Oliver at that time I think was at Alabama or somewhere. And I remember Curly saying. Well, you know, brother, brother thinks he's really good. And Danny said, I don't give a damn what brother thinks. What do you think? You know, I'm paying you. I'm paying you to make that decision. I don't care what brother thinks. You know, so that, that was, you know, that was Danny's, uh, ad, you know, that was the way. But he obviously the head coach is the one that ultimately makes the decision. Now, if, if I can share a story with you, um, we – we had a guy, uh, Don Denning was on our staff way back in the mid-'80s, and he was recruiting a guy named Terry Allen uh, out of Georgia. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Terry Allen was undersized and, and not very fast. And, uh, you know, he wasn't high on our list at all. And, uh, but uh, Don Denning really liked him. Mm-hmm. Well, Danny was, Danny was coaching out in the, the hula bowl or whatever that – that bowl is was out there at the time and uh terry allen committed to us and D- danny called me and said who is terry allen who is terry all, allen all i know is don denning is said he was going to take him as a defensive back and he committed to us and so it turned out to be pretty good but Danny wasn't real happy when he heard about it. Yeah, that was – and that just goes to show you the recruiting game. You never know, you know, what you're going to get. You might think you got the greatest thing in the world. I mean, you guys signed Chuck, uh, the most highly touted option quarterback of his time uh, in Michael Carr, and yeah. didn't work out. He got hurt and other things. And yeah. it looked like when you guys signed him, you were set at quarterback, you know, for the next four years with oh. this guy. He was going to take off. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, uh, I was down there for all of his playoff games and everything, and, and it was a coaching coaching convention. I mean, it was Notre Dame and Tennessee when they were really good. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I mean, everybody. I mean, you know, we we thought we hit the jackpot, but like you said, he got there and hurt his knee in in fall practice, and he just never never was the same. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, but you know that happens. Yes, it does. Talking with Ellis Johnson, Chuck Reedy. Ellis, how do you begin the process of 
getting a kid to commit. Okay, you've been recruiting him. It's you and it's several other big-time programs. His head is spinning. He's got family. He's got high school friends, coaches, everybody in his ear. How do you pull a guy across the finish line? Well, I guess if you get to that point, most of the time it doesn't end that way. But when it does, those are probably the most difficult. And you kind of try to look for what's holding the kid up. And if he's just a kid who can't make decisions, you get somebody real close to him and say, hey, he's got to do this or whatever. You know, if you can find a hook that's, that's going to tell the kid what to do. Uh, but if, if it's something he's hesitant about it, you know, I'm not sure I fit in your scheme. I don't know if I'll be happy being there for four years. I don't like big towns or <laughs> there's nothing to do here. This is out in the middle of nowhere. Sometimes they'll tell you what's, what's their hang-up and you can address it. When they're just wishy-washy and all over the place, you need to know who's got the key and who's the hook. And uh, you should have found that out a long time before that time. That is, in your opinion, is that like one of the most important parts of the recruiting process and in eventually winning the player is like knowing who in his background to to talk to to help influence him? No doubt. I remember, I'll tell you a good story while I was recruiting Stefan and uh, Clyde Wren, you know, good friend, everybody on the show knows who Clyde Wren is. Mm-hmm. He said I, said, I said, I can't find out who he's close to. He said, Who's his girlfriend? <laughs> Coach, I don't know. He said, Find who he eats lunch with. So I called my buddy, who was the attendance officer there, vice principal, who was helping me behind the scenes, and I said, Who's he eating lunch with? He said, Coach, I've been trying to tell you. I said, you got a girlfriend he hangs out with? He said, Coach, I've been trying to tell you for two months. He eats lunch with me. <laughs> he gets his lunch, and he brings it to my office, and we eat lunch every day. And I said, hell, I had the hook all along, and I didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chuck, now, and I'm sure you agree with everything Ellis is saying, uh, when do you pull the hook? When in the process, I mean, is it? Is it a uniform thing, or is it case by case when you have to become like the aggressor and and really, you know, close the deal with somebody? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it's uniform. I think every every everyone is different, and um, you know, I personally I, I didn't like to pressure a kid. You know, I I didn't like that approach. I mean, I think like Ellis is saying, you want somebody else other than, than you to be the one that's pushing him or, or prodding him. But, um, you know, there'll, there'll come a time and, and back, back in the day, back me, I mean, you know, it, it, it worked its way up to, you know, to getting close to signing day. I mean, and you know, it was, you know, everybody was making decisions. I mean, and, and, and they knew that it was time to make a decision usually. I mean, they didn't, unless it was hurtful or, you know, or, you know, some of those guys that we recruited that drug it out, but, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, it just, it, it kind of flowed and, and, you know, you got into January and, you know, you started getting in, you know, close to signing day and, and everybody's, you know, they hadn't already committed, they're making their decisions. And, and then you, you know, obviously, you know, you got to know who, you know, who your competition is, you know, I mean, you know, who is it that you're, you know, that you're competing with, um, and you know, but again, I didn't. I don't think you can. I don't think you can push a kid, you know, to 
to make a decision, you know, to, to go to your school. I, I didn't feel that that was the way to do it. All right, guys, hang on. Going to hit a quick break. We'll come back with more here on our National Signing Day, December Eve special edition of Chalk Talk. Talking recruiting with two of the best in their day. They could probably still recruit. I know Ellis is, is still recruiting. It's just not football players anymore. And uh, two of the best in their day. We'll continue with them after this break here on Sports Talk. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Talk on the eve of National Signing Day, December. Good to have you with us. Chuck Reedy, Ellis Johnson, talking recruiting and the ins and outs. And behind the scenes, what happens when you're trying to convince a 17, 18-year-old to, to come to your place? And, you know, things are different now than when they were uh, at the top of their game because, I mean, you know, you can – well, you're not supposed to, but you know the talk of the, the NIL and the money is flowing out there big time. Uh, Chuck, let me ask you this. We see a lot of really good running backs in particular who, who pile up a bunch of yards, and people are wondering – in fact, we had a caller off the air asking about a running back and uh, why is this guy not being recruited. How important is speed? And, and when we see a player with all these great stats, but he's not being recruited by the big-time schools, is it usually because they don't believe or he doesn't test out to have the kind of speed they think they need? That's probably the case. Speed is, speed is very for, for all the skill positions you know, on both sides of the ball, obviously. Um, the, the thing about a running back, uh, the one thing that, that you, you, you can't test is vision. And, and, and that's, you know, uh, if you, you watch them and watch them, you know, watch how they, they read their blocks and they, they see, you know, they see things, you know, the really good ones. I mean, they see it. And when they see it, they have the speed to accelerate and take advantage of it when it's there. And, um, you know, that was, I'll never forget when the first time I looked at Kenny Flowers on, 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 uh, well, tape I guess it was, I don't even know what it was back then film <laughs> you know, I mean, you know AP ticker you know, I mean, got a little AP yeah. ticker tape <laughs> but anyway I mean I, I mean it didn't take me you know uh, 10 seconds I mean and you saw it I mean because yeah, he had great vision I mean he could see it and you know and of course he was a you know he was a nine five you know 100 sprinter 100 yard guy um you know but you know, those were the things. But, yeah, speed obviously is important. And, you know, you get high school guys that, that run for a bunch of yards, but, you know, they, they don't have the, you know, they don't have the speed or they don't have the vision that it takes to be, a, you know, a great college back. How about you, Ellis? Uh, you, you coach linebackers quite a bit. Was speed the number one priority for you, or were you more interested in a guy that could, could run okay, but you, you wanted somebody who was big, physical, strong, who could uh, fill the hole and stuff the run? Great question especially with the two of us on, because back when we first started, it wasn't a space game like it is now. Now, it's still played in the box, but the ball is out in the perimeter so much more now. So just specifically to a linebacker, you know, you used to have to go find somebody who was physical enough to take on a fullback about 10 times a game or, or a drive block from an offensive guard and get off the block, maybe make a physical tackle, and not that, any of that is unimportant now, but everything's in space. If you can't play coverage and you can't tackle in space, uh, you can't play linebacker in, in big-time college football today. So 
the thing I always looked for was length and, and speed and physicality. Uh, obviously, it can't be 150 pounds, but it can't play, you know, one of my last jobs. And so that you're just constantly looking for these guys that have length. And they don't have to be six foot. They could have long arms. Uh, and they have to have an element of physicality, whether they're 195 pounds or they're 235. If they're physical, they're physical. Uh, but the speed and the space and all that was so important. And it, it, it grew and grew as, as the game changed over the years. Okay, we're visiting with uh, yeah. Ellis Johnson and uh, Chuck Reedy here on uh, Sports Talk. And, uh, Chris, I think you had a question for oh, the coaches. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was trying I to give you your, give I, you your I space there. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the space. Uh, guys, obviously the uh, probably the biggest recruiting story in the state heading into tomorrow is what Lenore Sellers is going to do, the uh, quarterback from South Florence, Ryan Bowl member, who has been committed to uh, Syracuse for many, many months, but the Gamecocks are making a, a late push on him. When you had a player you felt like was pretty solid in your commitment in his commitment to your program, but then you started seeing, especially home state teams, start coming in and putting us. I'd hate to use the term, but no other way around it. Some pressure on him to stay at home and come play them. Guys, does your recruiting pitch change, or do you just continue to stress what you did well to get him committed in the first place? Well, uh, I guess I'll answer first, but um, they. You know, I think you better just keep doing the things that you did to begin with. Now, and, and of course, you know, this, this was – Ellis and I were uh, obviously way before NIL. Hmm. So, you know, I don't think all that comes into play. But I'm sure it does. But, um, you know, a guy like Norris, I mean, you know, he, he it's very commendable that, that he, you know, has stuck with his commitment to Syracuse. But, you know, looking long-term, you know, if I'm South Carolina, I mean, obviously you're going to sell him on the idea, hey, you know, you're from the state, and, you know, and it's going to be a lot more beneficial to you to, to, to go to the University of South Carolina than it is to go to Syracuse. And, you know, I'm, I'm anxious. I don't know anything about it, but I'm anxious to see what he's going to do tomorrow because it is an interesting, um, you know, situation. A guy that wasn't very – heavily recruited and and now you know obviously is, is getting a lot of attention yeah he had a massive year five thousand about five thousand total yards and 67 touchdowns he accounted for finalists for mr football mvp one of them in the in the shrine bowl want to pick up on this got to go to a break here guys a hard break so if you'll hang on or y'all can relax for a couple of minutes we'll come back to you we really appreciate your time we're extending you into overtime and uh, I know we're pushing bedtime as well. And uh, but just hang in there with us. We'll come back after the break. And, Ellis, I want to get your thoughts on the same thing, kind of on the same lines, talking about Lenore Sellers and making a change and, and pulling a kid who's been committed somewhere else. I want to talk with you about maybe the ethics of that and how you feel about that from an ethics standpoint. We'll be back in just a moment. <laughs> We are back with you here on Sports Talk. 
It's our eve of National Signing Day, December special, as we talk recruiting with Chuck Reedy and Ellis Johnson. Great to have these two uh, terrific uh, football men, two terrific recruiters uh, with us here for another uh, 25 minutes or so with one more break in between. Just to recap what has happened today for South Carolina, the Gamecocks have had a had a fabulous day. Uh, Trey Knox uh, committed. Uh, Reed McKeska committed. Oluwatosin Babaladi committed. And tonight, 8 o'clock, right around there, they might very well get Elijah Davis as well. That's four big ones for those guys going into signing day. Ellis, how much uh, is momentum in recruiting an important thing when you're going into signing day, the way the Gamecocks have built it up at this point? I think those things are some, sometimes unpredictable and, and in some ways unimportant. It's good pub, hmm. you know, and it gets the fan base fired up. And, it's, you know, I think it's, you know, I guess, you know, from a standpoint of normally, you know, getting excited and all that kind of thing. Most of the time, something like that happens because there's one kid that jumps in the boat and he's a leader or he's a kid and a lot of other kids want to play for him. And so, you know, it's obviously a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Uh, coaches always say, well, I'd, I'd rather have mine in the boat about a month ago and have them locked down. And we don't have to go through all this stress and <laughs> guessing and throwing darts at people at the late hour see if they'll come back. Uh, but, but I think it's always a good thing anytime you have momentum. So Chris brought up the case of Lenora Sellers, who's been committed for a long time to Syracuse. He first was committed to Virginia. And then when they lost their two offensive coaches that he was dealing with, and they went to Syracuse, then he committed to Syracuse. Now, one of their coaches has gone to NC State, but they promoted the other one to OC and QB coach Jason Beck. So he's still there. Uh, so he's committed to Syracuse. And so my question for the two of you, and I'll start with you, Ellis. I mean, one thing, you know, Dabo, Dabo Sweeney, and I'll, I'll bring him his – his thinking into this when you commit to him he forbids you from taking any other official visits i mean he says don't commit unless you're ready to shut it down um which i think is an excellent approach he doesn't worry about his guys decommitting for the most part he still has them from time to time but for the most part they stick they don't take other official visits he pieces his class together and they're good to go and they sign them all nice neat and clean on signing day with really not a whole heck of a lot of drama unless somebody's just holding out until signing day. But recruiting a guy who's committed somewhere else, I mean, I know it's part of the game, but do you think it's ethical? I mean, when it, I know in basketball it seems like they leave you alone. When you commit somebody, most basketball coaches back off. Why don't football coaches do that, Ellis? I, I don't know. I, I think commits are so overrated. You know, I really don't think a whole lot of them. But, I mean, basically, your, your rule is, hey, if you want to commit, you can commit. But when you commit, you're telling me you're going to come here, and I'm going to hold you a scholarship, and I'm not going to recruit Joe or Sam in your spot. Now, you want to go take a visit, you're not committed, and I'm not taking you committed. And that's as simple as that. That's basically what Davos saying. I don't know if it's an ethical thing so much as, you know, it's a process by which kid either knows what he wants to do or he's just trying to hold something and run over and see if there's a little bit better piece of cake somewhere else and and you know i, I just don't think you know you, you accept it and, and if you even you don't tell him that you better go ahead and mark it down he's not committed he wouldn't be visiting other places if it was firm 
And, uh, you know, that, that's the only way I feel about that. And as far as ethics, uh, I think it's admirable. Like Chuck said, a kid kind of makes a choice and, and sticks with it. Tells you two things about him. He's probably a very dependable kid, and he probably made a good decision because he knew what he was looking for. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't keep up with the players that much anymore, so I cannot evaluate or get an opinion on him where he fits in the best, et cetera. But it could be a lot of that. I mean, he, he may not get to play quarterback in Carolina. Who knows? I don't know what his talent is. I don't know what type of quarterback he is. So I, I really can't make a, a statement on that. Sure. One of the things I think, I'd love to hear Chuck's opinion on this, but one of the things now I think is so different than when we were coming through, and it changed even when we were recruiting, but the two aspects, we used to be able to sign the players in person, and they all wanted you there. Hmm. <laughs> and then the head coaches could be there. You're talking about trying to set something up on signing day because if you went to sign one on at 10 a, 10 a.m. and he found out you signed the other one earlier than him, and they get their feelings hurt. I mean, it was an absolute chaotic time. And I think the other thing is so different now in the, in the process or the calendar, if you will, it used to be real compressed back when we was first started. It was a 30 to 20 day just, you know, it was a, just absolute chaos and stress and go, 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 go from January to the signing day. And it's not really like that anymore. It's spread out with these two signing dates. And it's, it's still stressful, I'm sure. And I'm sure those guys are on pins and needles at signing time. But it was a little bit different deal back then. I mean, January and February used to be absolutely draining. Chuck, what about you from the question of ethics? Um, back in the day, I mean, did you guys – did you follow ethics? Did you feel bad if a guy was recruited some uh, committed somewhere else, but you came in and maybe tried to turn him and try to convince him to, to come to your school? Did you keep your hands off? How did you approach it? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think we always, you know, if, if a guy was, was a firm commitment and if a guy told me, coach, you know, I appreciate, you know, you're, you're you know, you all recruiting me, but I'm going to go to X school. Then i I, I let it go, you know. Now, you know, if, if he left the door open, you know, well, I think I'm going to go here, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm still in, you know, whatever. Then, then you would pursue it. But, you know, I didn't want to waste my time on a guy that was committed to someone else. <laughs> I figured I better be out trying to find somebody that I could get, <laughs> not try to flip some guy, you know. And, and the, the, the odds of doing that aren't real good. I mean, you know, there seems to be more of it now, but there there seems to be a lot less loyalty right now, um, you know, in in all of college football. Um, so, but back then, you know, no, I, I don't. We didn't try to flip many of them. I don't remember that happening. Um, now, tell you how old I am. I, I was around when we when we had the the early signing day uh, in, in December for the, the Southern letter of intent field. I don't even know if you remember that. I don't. Well, <laughs> I do. that was, that was another, I mean, and, and it was the best, <laughs> most, it was the most fun because it was on, it was on the Saturday that the Super Bowl was played. Huh. So we saw a bunch of guys in Sharp after the game. You mean the Shrine Bowl? The Shrine Bowl. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 No, we we would be up there and sign them. They would we'd sign them after the game. Now that was the Southern letter of intent, which was I think the second uh, Saturday 
in, in December, it was only binding for the SEC and the ACC and independents down here. Well, uh, and that was changed sometime probably in 82 or 83. Now, I can remember. I, can, I digress. I, I was going to say, you bring up the Shrine Bowl guys, and I can remember, Chuck, when you when you were at Clemson, and maybe LSU were involved in this as well in, with one of your schools. Um, but I, I can remember Danny Ford in particular and your entire staff setting up camp. They used to house the players yeah. at the Holiday Inn um, in downtown Charlotte, and you guys would, would basically live there at the hotel the entire week. Danny Ford would do his bold press conference while there, and – Clyde used to tell me that he would get with the uh, Shrine Bowl people and arrange the the roommates mm-hmm. so that Clemson yep. commitments were rooming with players that they wanted who were uncommitted. Is all that true? That is true. And, <laughs> and I was going to say about Lamont, uh, the North, um, the best thing South Carolina has going for them was that he was in the Shrine Bowl and, and, and they had an opportunity to recruit him. Their, their other commitments did for a whole week. Mm-hmm. That's that's momentum. If you want to talk about momentum, you got. I don't know how many South Carolina commitments they had up there, but if they had five or six of them and they're in his ear every day, you know, now, you know, that can help you. And, um, you know, we'll see if it does or not. But, no, the, the Shrine Bowl, and Ellis remembers it well. I mean, it was, it was I mean, it, it was a, a week of, of, you know, just hanging out there and all you do stand there and, you know, let them see you, you know, <laughs> just, <laughs> just walk by and there we were, you know, but, um, no, and, and you're right. Clyde would, he'd have them matched up where we had people in their ear, the ones that we were trying to recruit. Yeah. Ellis, do you remember much hanging around the holiday Inn there at the Shrine Bowl? Very well. And part of the time I was a high school coach and then part of the time you went into college coaching and the rules hadn't changed too much, but we still did that. And, Chuck can correct me, but I think early on you could you could meet with them, you could chat with them uh, as long as they had been released from practice, I think. And then they cut out all contacts off campus, other than school visits or home visits or something. But and it was one of the most fun times when I first got into coaching, uh, and we would go up there and stay two or three days as a high school coach, and it was just it was almost like a vacation. And even later, when I was in college coaching. Uh, that time up there was as good or as fun, but networking and being around guys and profession and talking ball and swapping ideas and things as any national convention or, or state clinic I ever went to. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I, I can remember too, they used to, for the media, I mean, we'd hang around all day and the players would come back to the hotel and you could grab them after lunch and do the interviews around that pool and everything like that and really press them on what was going on with their recruiting. you. That, that was a good time. But I always felt like, Ellis, that Clemson, during the Ford era, because they were so successful, maybe one of the big reasons they were so good in recruiting in the Carolinas was that week. that Because no other staff was there. What, were there, Chuck? I don't recall any other staff yeah, setting up camp there. Yeah. Later on, you know, South Carolina and North Carolina, they started, you know, having more um, of a presence. But, you know, we were we were ahead of the game. I mean, Danny was ahead of, you know, and Danny was great at that kind of stuff. And, you know, he, he, he'd lay down on the sideline. <laughs> <watch that. laughs> 
<laughs> lay down on a lay down on a blocking dummy or something, you know, and 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 of course, you know, all the high school coaches were drawn to him. I mean, but but he, you know, I mean, he was a presence, and it was obvious that he was a presence, and and everybody knew it. And uh, and no, I mean, it certainly helped us because you know it, it was a big deal for us. And and like I said, we of course we got a lot of. That's when we were doing really well in South Carolina, and all you know, doing and also recruiting well in North Carolina. Yeah, all right. We got to hit a quick uh, break or final one, guys, and we'll come back and wrap it up, and maybe ask you about your your best recruiting story of your of your career that you might recall that you want to share with us. Because I know the the two of you, you recruited some some big timers over the over the years. Maybe you got a story you want to share with us about somebody you got, or maybe you didn't get. We'd love to hear it. We'll get to that in just a moment. Chalk Talk with Chuck Reedy, Ellis Johnson, coming back in just a moment. All right, we're our final minutes here with Chuck Reedy, Ellis Johnson. Guys, we really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Always enjoy chopping up recruiting with you guys. So let's just talk about, we got about eight or nine minutes. Let's, let's just talk about, um, you know, a couple of the great wins or losses that you had in recruiting uh, you know ellis everybody knows that uh, you were the front guy for those rock hill fellas in particular clowning i guess was clowny the biggest of your career was he the biggest highly recruited most talked about recruit that you ever that you ever snared well of course it was i mean it was the number one recruit in america consensus <laughs> and he chose a school that had never won anything but one acc title in the history of the program mm-hmm and for him to, to decide to come to South Carolina was huge. Uh, it, it, was, it wasn't easy. Um, but the thing that you know, had a lot of advantages, first of all, I was in-state. But the biggest thing on that was we got Stefan two years earlier. And in that town, Stefan was Jim Thorpe. The parents, the other players, everybody was just admired him and respected him. And I don't think I could have got him without Stefan. Uh, there were a lot of other folks involved, too, though. And it, it wasn't the most entertaining or fun story in recruiting, but, yeah, it, it, that was obviously the biggest catch. Did it drive you crazy that he waited until Valentine's Day, like 14 days after signing day or something like that, carried this thing out? And was there any period of time there after signing day until he officially announced and signed that you thought maybe he might do something else? Well, a player like him and all the attention he was getting, and, of course, coaches couldn't just keep contacting him once. Dining day passed is sort of a dead period or some kind of thing. But all these recruiting services were still hitting. Mm-hmm. And so you don't know who all is getting in it there. I kind of knew what he was thinking about doing. That was his birthday. And he, he always said he might do it. I kept trying to tell him, don't do it, don't <laughs> do it. But I knew he, he wasn't listening to me. So I told Stefan to try to get him through, but he, he didn't listen to him on that one either. But he did that sort of as a thing on, on his birthday, February 14th, Valentine's mm-hmm. Day. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it, it was it was nerve-wracking, but I had some people up there uh, working the crowd, if you will, keeping an eye on it. Chuck, of course, uh, we know William Perry, uh, Herschel Walker, uh, we talked about Michael Carr, who at the time was the number one rated option quarterback in the country. Um, who would you say was your the biggest one? Was it uh, was it Herschel? Was it was it William you know, Perry? Who 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 would you cite? Well, I mean, 
Well, obviously, Herschel, you know, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what his ranking was, but I mean, he was certainly uh, recruited by everybody in the country. Um, and you've heard the Herschel Walker story, I mm. think. Yeah. Well, do you want me to repeat it or not? Well, the folks might not know it, so yeah, if you can give us the short version, I definitely want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. if you give us the short, are you well, talking about the black the black Trans Am story or the bag yeah, of money? Yeah, no, the back the the, the black Trans story. <laughs> that, that the names will be changed. Wait a minute, we can we can, you can give names because everybody involved in this deal is practically oh. dead. So except for you, so well, you, you can give names. No, no Mike Cabin he's still living, but <laughs> you just dropped it's a name. Okay now. <laughs> it, it's okay. Bob, Mike, and I are good friends, so it doesn't matter. But yeah. uh, you know, he was the first guy. That was the first year that I was recruiting. Uh, I mean, so I was a young guy, and and Ellis will remember this. You used to have a like a a, a prospect sheet that you would get the the recruiting people would bring it down to you but i've got this and i see this guy six foot 210 pounds runs a four or five so that's the first place i went was wrightsville when i went on the road and i so i recruited him all of his end of his junior year and and went to every one of his games as a senior and he came he came to our camp came to he came to several games early in the year and actually told us early in the year he was going to come to clemson but uh, every time I would go, I'd go to Florida and recruit. Then I'd come back by there on Friday afternoon before the game and hang out. And he, he drove an old black Ford. And that old black Ford would be parked there at the old gym. And I'd pull in and go in there, talk to the coaches, and, you know, hang out and whatever till the game. Well, went through the whole season. They're in the playoffs. We're in December now. <laughs> and I we in there. And there's a brand new shiny black Trans Am parked there in front of the gym, and I said, oh, "Must be some college coach or something." So I walked in, and the coach said, "Well, how you like Herschel's new car?" <laughs> so, I mean, I about choked. I said, "I mean, I, I might as well have just gone right on back to Clemson because I mean, it was all over at that point." But you know, it was a Georgia town. They would, I mean, the police would follow me around because, you know, they, it was, you know, there was nobody from Clemson there. And we never had a chance. I thought we did, but we didn't. I should have known better. <laughs> That's <Anyway>. great. <laughs> the old transit. Let me ask you both this final question. We've got about two minutes. Considering the world of college sports today, in particular college football, and what it takes to recruit and all that. Chuck, if you were to do it all again, if you were a 22-year-old looking to get into college football, I mean, would you would you do it? Would you want to go through what they have to go through today? Well, I mean, it's a great profession, and, and certainly, you know, I would, I would, lo- would love to go through it again. But the way it is now, it's, it's a totally different game than what, Ellis and I were a part of. I mean, I can't, I mean, with the transfer portal and the recruiting, you know, I don't, it's a whole different animal. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand any of it because I'm not involved. I think it'd be very difficult. Yeah. And pretty much Ellis, today's coaches are pretty much tied up 24 hours a day recruiting. Uh, Would you enjoy that? Well, I don't know if they're any more tied up in it than we were when we were doing it the right way and staying on top of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it just 
a lot of things have changed about how much you can be off campus, and, and it's less now than it used to be. It used to be more in-person stuff, more traveling. Uh, it was a drain, okay? And I made a joke earlier about cell phones. We didn't have cell phones for a long time. And you talk about something that makes it easier. But now, a lot of it's done with them coming on your campus. And then the NIL thing, to me, I mean, we just got through talking about some funny things that happened in recruiting. Mm. And there's always been an NIL, quote, NIL going on. It's just been who could sneak around, do this, do that, do that. I'm not so sure it's not easier on those guys from that standpoint now. Because, I mean, you go in and the high school coach tells you what the kid's going to get if he goes to these other two schools. And then you find out if your school is going to belly up or if they're just going to walk away and quit. Mm. So that part, I, I don't know. But the thing that amazes me, Phil, we've got the portal. We got kids running in and out of programs. You don't know who's going to be on the roster next year. You got opt outs, don't want to go to bowl games. You got kids wanting to, you know, get a better NIL deal. And recruiting signing day is still an exciting time. It just seems to mesmerize fans. And I almost find it astonishing because I'm afraid that signing day has been diminished. Now, it's still important, still very important, but it's been diminished a lot by the portal and all the transferring going on. You're exactly right because you're excited tomorrow. You think you got this great group, but let's face it, a large percentage of them aren't going to be with you two years down the road. That's just what the numbers are saying now. Guys are bailing for whatever reason, and what you put all that work into to piece together tomorrow, a lot of that's not going to be there in a year or two for whatever reason. Guys, we can't thank you enough. We hope you have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Uh, look forward to talking to you after the holidays about the uh, the upcoming bowl games, and we thank you so much. Ellis, thank you, sir. Enjoy it, Phil. Always Merry a Christmas. pleasure. Chuck, thank you very much, my friend. Yes, sir, Phil. Thank you. Appreciate it, Coach. And, uh, y'all have thank a, you all very much. Thank you. Love talking to these guys, two of the best ever. Stay, uh, stand on the sideline in uh, South Carolina. Uh, thank you, Chris, and thank you, Pat. Yes, and thank you, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow night from Dave & Buster's here in Columbia.